OMG, OMFG, you guys, it's another Andy's Girls emergency episode. What the fuck is even happening at this point? I really, truly don't know. It's I thought it was Friday for several hours today. My mother, Tobes, shout out the Tobes, um, just left after staying at Mikasa, um, aka The Cloth, for uh, a couple days. And throughout all of that, unfortunately, I spent a lot of time on my fucking phone because of this goddamn 18-part Bethany Rachel tell all or tell some or tell a little and then celebrate. Um, So I (laughs) didn't get a chance to actually listen to part two until essentially early this evening and then guessed it on a podcast. And then here I am now guesting on this one that I happen to host. (laughs) It's episode 400, whatever. Leave me the fuck alone. Okay, so here's the deal. Bethany announces she's putting out this fucking podcast, and I assume that it's going to be a two-parter because of the way that the non-outro led me to believe this was not yet over. And after putting out, or at least recording, yesterday's part one, I come to find out it's motherfucking three parts, plus, unfortunately, God help us all, maybe some bonus footage. So I assumed, okay, she's truly making this into a reunion. It's going to be three parts. Truly gird your loins for another hour-long P2. So I woke up to a bunch of fucking updates, summaries, reviews, mumbo jumbo clips. I found myself very upset about the um, clips that I heard before listening to the full episode, which I assumed was going to be an hour long. It was in fact not. It was 28 minutes, I believe, plus commercials bringing it to 35 minutes in total felt longer, though. Um, And I thought I was going to feel differently going in. This is kind of the conflict a little bit of having a bunch of thoughts and feels as is natural. I feel a little hopped up right now, guys. Oh, my God. I just had some leftover Via Corota. I've dairy and gluten coursing through my veins before my body does truly implode. I am using that energy for good, the good of recording this episode. So I I really just found myself in a position of just feeling really hot and bothered about the stuff that I had heard regarding Sheena and the incident in New York, um, the narrative around some discussion of some of the cast members accepting Tom, um, concern when it came to uh, the revenge porn conversation between obviously between Bethany and Rachel about um, how Tom behaved and possible control that he had over the narrative at Bravo and just like these little moments. And then I listened to the episode and I have to tell you, I had a different kind of feeling coming out of it, which was a genuine sadness and confusion about what Bethany and Rachel believe that this interview is doing. And I wonder to myself, I'm going to go through, I took copious notes, too many notes, um, about what's discussed on this episode, but I do kind of like want to begin with the end, which is just this feeling that I came out of part two with, which was the way that Bethany is positioning this interview is that it's Rachel's first time to really speak out and share her story. 
And yet it does not feel that the narrative is really about Rachel. Um, And a friend of mine who's a content creator, Dana, posted a long video in response to the first part of uh, the episode yesterday and talked about her kind of a little bit of like frustration or critique about the fact that this is we're being told that it's Rachel's story, but it's really Bethany's to share. And I watched that, I think, before listening to part two. And I mean, I found myself agreeing at points in a way that really isn't even intended to be hypercritical of Bethany, but is just a perspective that I think is closer to the truth of at least how I'm feeling. And I think people are going to have a lot of different feelings about Bethany's decision to position the interview in the way that it was. I mean, to put out a part two that's 30 minutes long, to stretch this out, instead of doing a one and done, aka one and then two and done episode, felt to me very canny. Um, In the world of podcasting, Ideally, a podcaster for advertises for advertisers um, purposes wants pretend that made any kind of grammatical sense. I will not be editing this. <laughs> Much like the conversation between Bethany and Jill, <laughs> there has been <laughs> there has been a request to record something unedited, and that request is muscle. Um, so you know the when it comes to the world of podcasting, a person typically. And by a person, I mean a podcaster. We're also known as human people now and again. Um, truly, typically wants more episodes uh, than less because advertisers want downloads. And so you can essentially, when it comes to downloads, there are downloads per episode, but also downloads a week. So if you, let's say, put out a great episode that's 60 minutes long and gets um, 100 listens, God bless. And it's a great episode and everybody's happy. Or you could, how many minutes did I say that was? Let's say I said 60. Or you could put out six episodes that each get 100 downloads that are a to be continued, a to be continued, a to be continued, a to be continued. That is going to be more interesting to the advertisers because, and to the representatives looking for ads, because you're getting more downloads to share the same story. There has been an argument and a criticism that many people have made that the positioning of of Rachel telling her story and of saying that ultimately a lot of people made a lot of money, including a big network, because of the scandal, and Rachel, according to Bethany, finds herself in debt at the end. Um, in Bethany's conversation, constantly referencing her money and her success, the power and access and freedom that that brings her, people have felt a certain way about the fact that Bethany is potentially releasing uh, several episodes of this, which from a um, a podcaster perspective means that she's making more money in ad sales because the download numbers will be higher as a result. Um, and also the fact that if you're talking about someone who's potentially being taken advantage of by this large corporation, not being seen in a way um, in a, a light that feels in any way humane by the audience, being ridiculed online, and might be dealing with some financial consequences, certainly because today it was announced that she's confirmed, surprise, spoiler alert, that she won't be returning for season 11. 
Bethany seems to be going out of her way to stretch this out. And so ultimately, what's the difference here in strategy? We're talking about the network exploiting this woman potentially who's seemingly in a really vulnerable position. And in order to share her story, we're ensuring that we receive as many downloads as possible. And it seems likely that she's not getting a cut because her rep confirmed that and said that she was thankful and appreciative for Bethany to, um, you know, essentially give her the space and time in which to share her story, which brings me back to the point of all of this. And there is allegedly technically a point which is whose story is being told here. There's a point at the maybe middle end, but it's kind of woven throughout, um, where there's an expression of gratitude of, you know, Rachel saying, like, this is the the chance that I have finally to tell my story because it wasn't offered to me during the course of the reunion that I was hit with a number of vile comments and you could even say potential just comments and um, uh, abusive language and snide remarks and everything else. And I wasn't given the chance to tell my story. She does not mention, nor does Bethany, the fact that there were individual sit downs with Ariana Sandoval and Rachel, who again, I may accidentally refer to Raquel because I'm like most people have been calling her Raquel this whole fucking time. Um, So that is not in any way noted. It's one of many examples and instances where there's one story being told that's in no way countered with any kind of like qu- even question or confusion, let alone critique, which seems to be either a strategic choice or I don't know what the other option would be, but there is a conversation about how grateful um, Rachel is to finally be telling her story because she wasn't given the space to do so um, through Bravo and through the reunion. And I just thought to myself, what story are we actually listening to here? Because we're getting into this conversation in part two of I am not this affair. I was a different person before. I'm a different person now. But all we're focusing on is um, why did I do these things? But no one is asking why. Everyone's only concerned with dragging me down to hell, essentially, and calling me all these terrible things and believing the worst in me. But no one is asking why there was a change in behavior. And then they kind of move on. And I thought to myself, This is being promoted and marketed not only as a direct, hugely framed criticism of Bravo, of reality TV, but very, very specifically the network and production associated with Vanderpump Rules. And part of that huge critique is no one is giving Rachel the space to tell her story and explain her choices. This is the first opportunity to do so. And Bethany doesn't ask her why. Why did this happen? How did you find yourself in a place to have to explain, confirm, or rebut your character now after hundreds of thousands, millions of people have decided because of this scandal, this is who you are? Not once that I remember, and again, I've been in a fucking fever dream the last couple of days, do I remember Bethany engaging in a conversation that felt interested in Rachel's perspective? It was 
only really examples of the ways that she was damaged and harmed, which in me saying like only the ways, that's not to suggest that that wasn't hugely impactful in Rachel's life. It's not to suggest that it's not important to discuss aspects of the way that the scandal was framed to exploit people, which includes other cast members, which they're not really interested in discussing. The only person who was grievously harmed by the direction that Bravo production, whoever the audience led in the scandal, ultimately was Rachel. And I'm not taking away from that, but it's interesting to understand who Bethany considers possibly innocent and who she looks at as someone who doesn't deserve that kind of nuance, which feels like everybody else. Feels like Ariana's a part of that. Feels like certainly Lala, Sheena is. By the way that they're discussed, I'm recording this late at night. Bethany is reposting direct messages from people, obviously only who support and are celebrating her work on these episodes. She has every right to do that. She's being very argumentative and sharp in her comments. She has every right to do that too. Um, Someone posted in a a comment or sent me a message, I forget what, that it's interesting when you think about the ways that Dr. Amador talked about Bethany during her spinoff, which I've seen many times, um, that there was a way that he once expressed that she believes, she, she believes that her, or perceives that the idea of like, her arrogance is confidence. And I can't stop thinking about that. The idea that a person's arrogance is confidence and confidence is the utmost value one should have, that one should deserve, shall we say. And there is a sense of like complete arrogance in the way that this conversation has been set up. And it's just so interesting to me. It's the thing that I can't stop thinking about, which is the fact that this was the opportunity to discuss some stuff, which Rachel gets to at points in at the beginning of the um, at the beginning of the, shall we say, conversation, also known as an interview. At the first part of the episode, I talked about that in part one of this AG Classic Emergency Triage Spectacular sponsored by ER. Like, I I mean, I should play that music, but I can't because I don't own it. Um, There is the, you know, notion of lessons that she's learned in a, a position where she feels more comfortable talking about who she imagines herself to be, who she feels she really is, and the the ways that she is kind of like reacting now to what happened to her then. And you get that in how she wants to be addressed as Rachel, no longer Raquel, and a feeling of decisions she made in, in childhood to disassociate herself. And you can see examples of that in how she addresses her behavior at the reunion, the fact that people were saying these things to her and she kind of had to disassociate at a certain point. And there is a connectiveness and a disconnection, and some of that might be boundaries, self-protection, and whatever else. But also, there is still a little bit of a disconnection in the ways that this conversation was led. It was like Bethany saying, so this thing happened to you, and it's so crazy that you're being criticized in this way because other people have fucked up and whatever else. It felt like the direction of the interview was to minimize anyone who was harmed as a result of Rachel's choices and obviously Sandoval's. 
in order to support the idea that she's learned her lesson without acknowledging really and truly the reasons people were hurt, minimizing her relationship with Ariana in a way that felt inaccurate from the very many, many, many interviews that Rachel herself has led where she's talked about the value and purpose that she has found in her relationships with some of her cast members and co-stars. You could argue she's doing that as a form of press, but she's she's doing press right now saying the opposite. So it's like, which person, which part of this do I believe? Do I believe the example that she herself is is giving me um, at that point in real time of lessons she's learned, people she's trusts, the people that she respects, plans that she had made with people for points after the scandal that obviously didn't happen with her cast members once they found out what had actually been going on for an extended period of time. There's a ability to try to reposition who Rachel is or try to reintroduce her that's based on a lot of her past behavior that's saying, Rachel saying, people knew who I was before. They now feel like all of that was a lie, but no one is asking why this behavior seems inconsistent with the idea of me that you may have had for a couple seasons when I was still with James. Like, I seemed like a good girl then, essentially. This is not um, verbatim, but like, I seem like a good girl. I seemed like a good friend, a good person. Then I do all this stuff, but nobody is asking me why. Now, in my head, I'm thinking a lot of people are asking you why. A lot of people are asking you why. The only person who's really not is Bethany, because she's already very much in a position to support and push you as the person who deserves the absolute most nuanced sympathy and empathy. Now, a lot of things can be true at once. One can look back at the way that Rachel was treated by the audience, by the network, by storytelling, certainly by members of her cast, and see discrepancies there in how she was treated versus Sandoval. But that's not really the direction Bethany is going in. She drops one-off questions of like, oh, yeah, is there a difference between how, you know, you think you were treated versus Sandoval? Like, oh, isn't that crazy? Moving on. It's like checking off the list here of examining Rachel, not through the lens of Rachel, but through the lens of a greater narrative that Bethany wants to present. It's less of an interview that I wish had happened and more of a deposition. Bethany has specific questions she wants to ask that supports a narrative that I don't necessarily disagree with, which is how to certainly that I agree with, which is like that some members of reality TV and of members of the cast, it's a question of finances, sure, but it's also a question of these people's mental health and what structures are in place to protect them. That's a question that people should have. Like, Rachel got how many fucking death threats sent to her on social media as a result of this? I mean, she was dragged through hell. Was Sandoval dragged in the same way? I don't think so. And yet the through line here is like the person that Bethany needs to put forward, minimize what actually happened to Ariana, for example, in finding out that her good friend and long-term partner had been sleeping together, including in her bed, in her house, including while she was at her grandmother's funeral out of town. None of that's being discussed. 
the last five minutes of the reunion, this huge, huge moment, which was positioned and edited to make people gasp. I was at the New York screening, which included members of the cast. I was losing my fucking mind at those last five minutes. You can watch it on Instagram because I fucking recorded our reaction because we none of us knew what was going to happen. And it was shocking and sad. I just kept saying, oh, my God, no, Raquel at that point. No, Raquel. No, that's like not the choice to do that thing. But none of that's discussed because the most helpful and important thing for Bethany is to show that everyone was wrong about Rachel because that makes the results of toxicity, terrible behavior, editing, narrative positioning, the work of production, the work of the network to be as seemingly evil as humanly possible. And if you bring her back to the idea of Rachel as less complicated, which is how we saw her before this, that helps Bethany's narrative instead of a conversation of like, I did this. I fucked up. It was really bad. And in working through after we got to the point of figuring out by me drawing on the chalkboard and figuring out which name I had, we discussed other stuff, too. I was in intensive therapy and I know I made choices to sleep with someone who was in a long-term relationship, I'm not going to discount because a lot of the reasons why I believed that these people weren't really in love was because this man was taking advantage of me because he wanted me to continue to have sex with him. Like He wanted me to believe that I would end up with him, which is not a part of any of these episodes so far. There is a conversation about revenge porn, which I will get to, and the the lack of trust that Rachel felt in Sandoval, which is incredibly important to discuss. There should have should be a lot of focus on that online. I think there actually is. But there's like, we're taking all of the nuance out of this. And now we're reverting Rachel back to an idea of who she was before. And guess what? Spoiler alert. Nobody fucking knows. So when Rachel is saying, I wish people remembered you know, I was really that girl before, a girl who's in seemingly a very toxic relationship with James, who she was engaged to at one point. Their engagement was a proposal was a huge part of that season. Their breakup, a huge part of the reunion. We're, we're just saying I was like that simple, nice girl. And what happened to me, this is the exception of the to the rule, the seven months that I engaged in this affair, trying to find out if this guy I was sleeping with, who I thought I loved, was lying to me trying to continue the idea of being emotionally intimate with my platonic friend Ariana so I could get information about whether or not she was sleeping with him, wanted to stay with him so I could figure out if he was lying to me. None of that is discussed. And I was frustrated when I was listening to part one and part two because I was like, these questions aren't being asked. I want to hear the nuance. This is her time to talk. There's been so many criticisms of her. I want to hear her respond to them. But it was the alternate reality in discussing a reality reckoning. It was the idea of like, we can't talk about all of that. That's not Bethany's goal. Bethany's goal is not understanding Rachel. Bethany's goal is to express that Rachel was mistreated. And you can have both conversations, but not if you're unwilling to. And then I got a I got a um, an AG commented and said, um, "Who do you think would have been a good interviewer for this?" And I responded, but I was I had some I had some what the fuck did I even drink? I had two cocktails yesterday, so I was you know losing my mind. Um, so I had been on Turtle Time and 
thought I responded, but I didn't in the, <laughs> in the correct thread. So I still owe that person a response. But you know, when it comes to the idea of who do you think would have led a good interview, it's such a good question. Um, but it gets to the core of like, what was the purpose of this? And I made the mistake of thinking the purpose of this was to better understand Rachel. And I don't think it was. It was to discuss what she experienced as a result of her choices in engaging in this affair and of being misled potentially and being manipulated. But we don't really get to that that much. We talk about her lack of trust after finding out that Tom had recorded her engaging in masturbation, seemingly, I guess, with Tom on FaceTime while she was in New York. The night before Watch What Happens Live, she put on, you know, a, a adult movie. They were, I think, pleasuring themselves. He recorded her without her consent. And there is a conversation about the fact that she looked at this man at that point and discussed on camera um, feelings that she could not trust him as a result of that behavior. That is valid and important to hear. But we don't really get a lot of anything else. What we get is the mistreatment of it all which is important to discuss, but we don't get an idea of any kind of nuance or curiosity from Bethany's perspective about this. She says at one point, you know, I only really knew about Vanderpump rules as a result of the scandal. She said, I think in a comment to someone that she on social on Instagram that she had watched this season. She doesn't say that on part two. What she says is that she watched the reunion in a couple episodes, which was a real disservice to this conversation. If you thought her goal was to understand Rachel and give her the platform to show us who she is. That's assuming she knows. I think she's on a path. She's obviously working on the language and communication to figure out what happened to her, less so her role in it. And I thought, this is kind of a disservice to Rachel in many ways. And it felt like, you know what? She deserves for there to be a conversation about the way she felt she was um, violated in what was said to her and about her. Certainly a conversation of how she feels like she's being exploited. Absolutely, you can have that conversation. But also it's a disservice because we're not asking her questions that feel significant to what we saw on TV when it comes to behavior that doesn't fit a narrative that she is only a victim. And that to me was unfortunate because it's like it felt like you're removing the understanding that she made choices. And I'm not saying that she wasn't also manipulated. I think I manipulated. I think Sandoval is a total piece of shit who took advantage of her. But I think I think there's also other stuff here to discuss. She made a choice to sleep with someone who paid attention to her, who made her feel special, who was significantly older in terms of seemingly life lived as well as celebrity and being a veteran at this point of Vanderpump Rules 10 seasons in. We're not really getting into any of that. We're saying that she was mistreated and Bravo is bad. And that's really it. And it's unfortunate because it really genuinely felt like a spiritual deposition. It did not feel like a conversation, which maybe was not a goal. 
but it felt like Bethany was like leading her with questions while pretending it was relatively stream of consciousness. And P.S., if you are having a conversation with Rachel, you damn well better have fucking an idea of what the fuck you're going to say. So good for Bethany for having an idea. You know, she's saying she doesn't know things. Oh, do you know how many... um? streaming numbers that VPR got. Oh, you don't? Oh, okay. Well, let me just pull out this um, fact sheet of numbers that I'm just going to read for the very first time and say out loud, oh my God, I didn't really know it was that much. And then just go back to conversation and remember that I didn't actually give you a, a chance to respond. Like it it was really only about the cost of the Scandoval on Rachel without really addressing her role and her actions in it which you can do in a way that makes note of the fact that like many things can be true at once, does not feel like Bethany has an understanding of that. And it feels so counterintuitive and counterproductive not to include nuance, especially when it can benefit Bethany. Because I think there are some questions here when it comes to like dragging people through the mud for maybe being shitty on camera that maybe she could say, oh, my God, yeah. And you know what? I've been in that position, too. There's only room for one, quote, unquote, victim here. And it's Rachel. It's not anybody else. It's not anybody who maybe said terrible things to her. But maybe they were also manipulated. No, the only one who really was was Rachel. because She was the only one who agreed to be in the room. And that is such a missed opportunity. But not if you're Bethany, because maybe it served her purpose. Maybe this is the only story she wanted to be told. It's like the ultimate irony is who deserves our be- who deserves our empathy. She's reposting DMs right now, including one that says, you know, like this is the best thing that ever happened to Ariana. She made all this money and got out of a relationship with a bad man. She reposts that, which is an acknowledgement, I guess, of her support of that belief. Also, it was a very high praise of her work as an interviewer. So, of course, that message deserves to be heard. But fuck, man, like we're not, you know, we're, we're talking about how upset a lot of these people were because it was so terrible for Rachel. And it was. I mean, I there's a point at the tail end of the episode that made me extremely uncomfortable that I really did not... Uh, understand before listening to the episode, maybe not in the ways, not in only the way that Bethany intended, but in the delivery itself, which we will definitely get to. This is the preamble, which is about 800 minutes long. But there were points where she's like, bringing out all the things that, you know, this benefited Ariana. And I use Ariana as the example, because she seems to be the one that Rachel is thinking of, the one that Bethany is thinking of, which is ironic. She didn't seem to be much of a thought during the affair, really only let's make sure she doesn't find out or let's take advantage of her feeling of love for me so that I can get information to help me, you know, maybe be with this man. It's interesting to think of Ariana being the winner in all this. Like, obviously, she's made a fucking shit ton of money. She has been looked at as um, somewhat of a deity by a large member of the audience. And I would argue has been strongly, strongly defended by a lot of people, including myself, because I don't think she's perfect, because I think that she's complicated and has made mistakes and fucked up and grown. 
And because I think when we get into a conversation of being very selective of which women are allowed to express rage, which women are allowed to say nasty things and have an understanding of the scope and circumstances that surrounds their upset, find it very interesting who is allowed to be angry and what kind of anger is fun. Like Bethany was referencing her own taglines because she has become a tagline machine at this point. I think it's a a part of the, you know, operating structure at Skinny Girl HQ, um, a place obviously, as you know, by its name, devoted to wellness. And it's interesting that <laughs> it's like when you think about the fact that she talks about like mention it all, or whatever, wow, Bethany, wow, or some of this other stuff, it like just becomes a name. But when you think of some of the behavior behind it, it's not all great for Bethany. Doesn't always show Bethany in the best light, but it doesn't matter because it's popular and it's become something and it's iconic. That's that's the way it, it works. The I, icon yada yada of it all, the idea of being popular and known, of being brilliant, of of performing well, of being charming and extra and loud, that allows for And understanding that, like, she was really upset. Yet that doesn't apply to anybody else. Certainly not anybody discussed in the rest of the cast. It's interesting when you think about the harm of reality TV, the way that we've conditioned ourselves to continue to celebrate moments of popularity. But there are other moments that might also be popular, that might also be really well watched, but those people did wrong. Not me, though, because I made a famous catchphrase out of this. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. It delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Living in New York City is not easy. Just ask Sonia, trying to sell that house. There are so many mornings where I wake up and think, oh my gosh, I'm having the worst cold of my life. And I realize it's actually from allergies. When my nasal allergies flare up, and that happens when the season changes and the temps get a little warmer than they normally are, I use Astapro, and I'm amazed at how fast I'm back in the game. And that game is looking for Dorinda on the Upper East Side. Astapro always has my back and nose. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Paris is always a good idea, and when I schlep on over to Europe to my favorite city in the world, I bring with me a few important phrases that I have learned from housewives. C'est bon, c'est bon. Chic, c'est la vie. Je m'appelle the Countess. N'est-ce pas, Luan? (laughs) And while those key phrases are important when speaking to any French bravoholic for other matters of life, (laughs) 
That's where Rosetta Stone comes in. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including, of course, French. It features fast language acquisition. It immerses you in so many ways. There's no English translations. So you really learn to speak, to listen, and to think in that language. It's an intuitive process. You pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. J'adore Chris Manzo. Et toi? There's a speech recognition filter, which gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's convenient with desktop and app options, and it's an amazing value. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs in life. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. A steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, AGs can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Today. I just came back from the salon and for the record, I went with a sassy little bob and quiet luxury shade of blonde. Yes, that's literally what we're calling it, quiet luxury. Aside from trips to the salon, I don't actually blow out my hair. My hair is naturally wavy, and that's why I love Way. Way's new anti-frizz cream is a lightweight cream that provides immediate frizz control that lasts for up to 72 hours. I know that I have a limited amount of time <laughs> with wet, wavy hair in which to get myself in order. And that is why I love the anti-frizz cream. It has notes of bergamot, Italian lemon, violet, and more. And it smells unbelievable. Truly, as someone who is a little bit sensitive to scents, I put this in my hair and I feel great. It also genuinely pairs well with my perfume, which I appreciate. I don't blow out my hair because after years of color processing and attempting to make it straight, I know it looks better and stays healthier when I avoid blow drying, which is why I love the anti-frizz cream. I've used products, especially with wavy hair, where it feels heavy and looks kind of wet. And that's why I love Waze Anti-Frizz Cream because it enhances the natural waves in my hair. I still look like me, just a little elevated. And P.S. I am way obsessed with Waze other bestsellers. Their leave-in conditioner, detox shampoo, my personal favorite. Frizz-free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E- O-U-A-I dot com and enter promo code Andy for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com with promo code Andy. In the words of Meredith Marks, when it comes to that week, week and a half before my period, I wish I was disengaging. My PMS is off the charts. Truly Uber Eats needs to check in and say, it's about that time, isn't it? I know it is. The cravings are crazy. I want to crawl out of my skin. 
Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony and Estro Control, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. For AGs who are friends of perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause, Happy Mammoth has hormone harmony. It's not just a supplement for women going through those stages. It's also become a phenomenon. Women can't stop talking about it on social media. A bottle of hormone harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code ANDESGIRLS at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code ANDESGIRLS for 15% off today. I'm engaging. Conversations around wellness and weight loss can be complicated. There's the Instagram filter we all see on IG and social media, and then IRL. And between $20 smoothies and daily ice baths, everyone is doing the most to hack the health system. But there's a better way. Row. Row provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. And you can sign up from the comfort of your own home. No scheduling a doctor's appointment, commute to the doctor's office, and no waiting rooms. The Row Body Program pairs a weekly shot with healthy lifestyle changes so you can lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Of course, medication must be paired with diet and exercise modifications in order to achieve any stated results. Medication cost is not included in the program. Patients must pay for medication separately. With Roe, average weight loss is 15 to 20% in one year with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash andesgirls. You can sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash andesgirls. Sign up today. And I say this, by the way, just to clarify, if you are new to Andy's Girls, and hello, welcome, <laughs> that I have been a longtime Bethany Stan, long time. If you listen to the beginning of Andy's Girls, I think this happens in the first episode. I could be wrong. But I got into like a, an absolute moment of f- physical shock. I still remember when in conversation with OG of the AG, Damian Bellino, I think Bethany came up and I was like, no, she's the best. Like, what do you mean you don't like cry? love her. She is number one. So I continue to appreciate Bethany. Like she has brought us a lot. She's obviously, as she will tell you any number of times, one of the most successful housewives to come out of the housewives universe. Um, She obviously has monetized her role on reality TV in a way that is incredibly, incredibly lucrative. And as she will continue to remind us, continues to be And that's all fine and good, but there's other stuff happening here that makes me feel like the only people who are supposed to learn lessons from this conversation is the audience and hopefully the executives. Because she herself says in the first episode, the reason or in the 
preamble to the first episode, her reality reckoning episode, which dropped the day before part one of her conversation with Rachel, she talks about the fact that really the reason she onboarded a lawyer who then onboarded a lawyer to send a legal letter to Bravo wasn't really, I'm sure it was about like getting change or whatever, but initially her purpose in doing that was to force Bravo to respond because they weren't responding to her TikToks and videos and social media. She wanted a way to formalize her frustration, a lot of it incredibly valid, but she wanted to force them to respond. That was the goal. And like this whole unionizing idea and everything else has come as a result of that. And like this feels like the ultimate, may I have your attention, please, which I get, but fuck. I mean, you have this person in front of you who you know just came out of seemingly significant mental health treatment and the way she went about talking some of this stuff. I mean, she's expecting the audience to have a lot of sympathy and understanding and empathy. And I'm not discounting that, but like, fuck, man, some of the choices that you made in talking about this to this person who you're saying is vulnerable, are you exploiting her vulnerabilities to prove your point? Like, what's the difference here? Maybe the idea that all of this stuff is a mechanism of villainry and all of the people involved who've upset Rachel and violated her are archetypes, are a part of the cogs of the machine, even though sometimes a per- we're talking about the ways that they might be manipulative, but not really, not really talking about their humanity, not unless it serves a, a bigger narrative purpose. But like, fuck, where was... We're talking about, and again, I'll get to it, we're talking about why and criticizing why human resources wasn't on set at the Vanderpump Rules reunion or really at any. But where was HR in this? At one point, spoiler alert, Bethany talks about the fact that she asked her therapist to watch the Vanderpump Rules reunion. I don't know if it was only part three or if you watched all three parts, but shout out to Dr. Dave or Matt or something, not Dr. Amador, which is what I was hoping she would say. Shout out to him. Um, but he talks about the fact that she talks about, you know, his kind of concern with the buildup of the reunion cycle and the fact that it wasn't intended to support her. There was no understanding of how Rachel felt and how she might react to things being said to her. And I just was wondering some of these questions, the way that Bethany decided to focus on literally out loud naming a list of insults flung Rachel's way and saying them to her. I'm like, you know what you could have done as a podcaster said, you know, a lot of terrible things were said to you. Cut. If you want to include all of them, record that separately so as not to potentially trigger this person unless that's your goal or unless you want to show how strong she's come as if, I I mean, like, we're hearing Bethany crying. I haven't seen the video yet because that's a different drop. But she's obviously very upset. Understandably, she's reading these things. You hear the words and things that people said to her. It's devastating. It's a lot. But she's saying them to her to garner a response under the guise of a conversation about exploitation. You didn't have to name every fucking thing that was said to her. Did you think she was upset? What are you trying to get? A reaction? 
those people were saying seemingly stream of consciousness things that you were isolating to show the level of cruelty that she received. So we have to say all of it all over again. What's the point that you're proving here? And how much care are you putting into supporting her during this? Because you could make the argument she's doing it to show her that Bethany cares. She's emotional. She's crying. She's talking about how she's a parent. If anybody said this to Bryn, she would kill them. Well, guess what? You know, like Luann is someone's child. Sonia is someone's child. She's yelled at, threatened Carol. I know that some of these people aren't parents, which seems to be a big part. Bethany names Andy Cohen. You're 52 or 54 years old. You know better. He's an executive. He's a parent. He's a parent. He has kids. He should know that these are God's children, as if to say that if you don't have a child, you're exempt. It's interesting who we look at as um, innocent, who we look at as like and this I really don't mean in a derogatory way, but like who we look at as like the juvenile, who we look at as the younger one who needs to be protected and who is doing the harm. It's a conversation. It's only a conversation about Rachel. It's not a conversation about anybody else. Missed opportunity there, I would say, but I have a different goal. Um, Listen, laundry list of shit to discuss. Did not expect to say that, but welcome to Andy's Girl Stream of Consciousness. So we're just going to stop from the start from the top. I love that this episode is going to be 150 hours long when the actual episode itself was 28 minutes plus commercials. Bethany made a lot of cash, but that's okay. Don't won't really matter because she's got a lot. She's got a lot, you guys. She keeps telling us and I love that for her. I love that journey. Oh, she made it all herself. God bless. Okay. Um, so conversation starts, you know, on a real upper talking about the unfortunate uh, temporary restraining order um, that was filed. And um, Rachel talks about the fact that, you know what, Sheena did physically assault me that night. I have a permanent scar on my eyebrow. I thought I deserved it. And I let it happen. She pushed me as hard as she could against a brick wall. She socked me in the eye. She threw the phone in the street and called Ariana from hers. She grabbed the phone, called Tom, she meaning um, Rachel, and he said he heard uh, that uh, Sheena had confirmed she socked Rachel on the phone with Ariana. At some point thereafter, Sheena made a used a punch emoji on a caption with uh, in solidarity with Ariana and Rachel didn't feel safe as a result. Um, and she doesn't understand why not feeling safe made her a further target of online and also cast vitriol. So listen, talked a lot about that TRO in previous Andy Scrolls episodes. I did tonight re-listen to a portion of one of Sheena's episodes I've covered prior, which was a episode she taped for Shenanigans, um, which was um, episode she taped of Shenanigans, which was done, um, uh, which was recorded rather the day that the TRO was dismissed, which was in late March. So in that conversation, which you can listen to, Shenanigan, Shenanigans, Shenanigans, Sheena, Shay, or Sheena, new last name, um, that's Brock's. In Shenanigans, Sheena Shea talks to Lala, obviously having just come out of court, about um, a little bit of the timeline of confusion and frustration she felt about the TRO. So essentially, 
Rachel is doubling down about what she believes happened. And I went back to Sheena's version of events, which she was able to legally discuss um, only after the TRO had been uh, dismissed. So she says that friends of hers, mutual friends, had reached out to Rachel after whatever incident occurred on Wednesday night following Watch What Happens, and that two days later, after the incident on Wednesday, Rachel told them she would never press charges. She totally understood she rea- uh, that Sheena had reacted reasonably, all things considered. Thursday, she flies back to um, L.A., And Friday, allegedly, Rachel hires a crisis PR team who, again, allegedly drop her at some point that weekend because of inconsistent information. So they felt like they couldn't do their job, that they were being told a narrative that didn't necessarily track or for whatever reasons didn't want to collaborate. She then hops on a FaceTime, she meaning Rachel with a mutual friend of hers and Sheena's, um, who sees no changes on her face and asks to take a screenshot, asks her for permission to take a screenshot, which she consents to. Then at some point thereafter, might have been that day, she goes to urgent care. This is several days after Wednesday at this point, and has photos that come out later, and her face looks different. So the face in conversation with this mutual friend over FaceTime who asks if she can, uh, if she, he or they can take a photo, she agrees, looks different when she is photographed by paparazzi or whomever else later that day. Then she's seen again by paparazzi two days later, different face, then six full days after Wednesday, after Wednesday, when there has been no contact from Sheena in any way, they did not speak after whatever incident happened Wednesday night, she files a TRO. She tells Bethany it's because she did not feel safe. They had not spoken in six days, but she said she, I think, felt upset, concerned by the punch emoji. And there we are. I'm not going to rebut what Rachel says happens because happened because spoiler alert, I wasn't there. Um, the timing of all of this is confusing. And Sheena obviously has feelings about it. And about the fact that there were prop documents that were presented to Sheena at the reunion. Sheena's lawyer um Uh, or rather that Rachel's lawyer had allegedly filed a request for dismissal, which was actually done the day after the reunion. But there was no legal mechanism to dismiss a restraining order, which Sheena's lawyer also um, confirmed and gave clarity and more information on on a separate episode, the ways that that was entirely a prop document. And um, that that had something to do with like dismissing civil claims or something else, but had nothing to do with a restraining order. It was entirely um, uh, seemingly performative. Um, And then obviously Sheena and her lawyer showed up in court after being told by Rachel and her attorney or Rachel through her attorney that the charges were in fact going to be dismissed. They weren't going to contest anything. So no need for Sheena to show up in court. Sheena, not believing or trusting anything that was being said, did in fact show up. Charges were dropped. Rachel and her attorney did not. And then after the fact, they put out a statement saying she only said to them that 
the only reason they did that was performative and to continue on with, I don't know, whatever else. Um, so, you know, that happened. I think it's confusing and disconcerting and, um, I don't really have any <laughs> further thoughts other than what's been previously discussed on Andy's girls. Um, so continuing on, um, Bethany asks, why did you sign up for this? And Rachel laughs and says she thought reality would be fun and she's stepping out of her comfort zone. They then get into the conversation about uh, Tom recording her without her consent and a lack of trust. She felt like her privacy didn't matter to him. He didn't give a good excuse aside from he wanted to see it later on to see how beautiful she was, which you ask really, truly anyone (laughs) and also any woman, if someone recording anything of them showing their body, a moment of intimacy, why they did that without consent and them saying, I just wanted to admire your beauty later. That is so manipulative, an absolute ball-faced lie and just gross. It's a great little window if anybody had any Uh, confusion about who Tom Sandoval is. That's a great little window into who, in fact, he is. Um, She says if he had asked for permission to record, she would have said no. And later, when she filmed with Sandoval for the post-Scandoval reveal, that finale episode when filming picked back up, she said on camera she asked how she could trust him again because he filmed her without consent. And during that conversation, he admitted to it. But after the scene wrapped, he was upset. She made him look bad on camera. She said, well, that's what happened. I mean, she wanted to essentially discuss her feelings of a lack of trust. And she said as a result of her saying that on camera, that he boycotted filming the rest of the pickups in order to get that moment taken out. And it was in fact removed. We didn't see it in the filmed episode. B said, and B, I mean, Bethany said that she has seen that happen before or heard that happen before. Um, And I mean, fuck. Also, in the part one, um, Rachel talked about the fact that she believed that Ariana had shared the video with others, um, intimating uh, revenge porn having taken place, the distribution of a person's um, of a content filmed without a person's permission being distributed for the purposes of like revenge or whatever else. Um And Ariana posted on social that she did not. And one of Rachel's reasonings for why she believes that it was shared with other people is because they seem to know a lot of details about it. My guess is that Ariana told her friends what she saw doesn't mean she showed it to them. And I think that was a pretty large accusation. It's also a misdemeanor, I believe, in California. So... I don't know what to say about that. It was seemingly a little bit glossed over. I was actually sort of surprised it was included in the episode. Um, But, you know, there we are. Uh, Meanwhile, it was interesting to me when I thought about the fact that that moment that reflected poorly on Tom obviously involved some sort of conversation between him and production, and it was not 
it was decided not to leave it in. I would think one of the reasons production didn't include it in the final edit wasn't necessarily because they gave a shit about Tom, although that's possible. It was because they were maybe afraid of any potential litigation as a result. It's a serious accusation. Um, and for him to admit it, I don't know if there was regret after an understanding of like how that would affect his LOL reputation or anything else. But Bravo, obviously, production, whomever made the decision not to include it. It was, though, interesting when you think about the fact that what was included later on in that finale episode, which wasn't discussed between Bethany and Rachel, was that Tom had told Sheena, allegedly, about Ariana telling him, threatening to unalive herself if he broke up with her, an allegation he doubled down on in his interview with Howie Mandel and something that Ariana has clearly shared in her interview with um, Call Her Daddy was a lie, was something he was saying to cover for his um, own poor reputation as a result of having an affair and a way to answer why he didn't break up with her, why he decided to sleep with one of her good friends instead of breaking up with her first. Well, he couldn't because he was trying to protect her by, you know, fucking one of her good friends for seven months. What a man. Um, it's interesting, though, when you think about the ways that when you think about a person's reputation or possible moments that really get to the heart of someone's mental health. Tom's reputation, at least, was protected by removing that um, moment, that conversation between him and Rachel, which I would think was a pretty important one. And if you were only looking at it through the lens of drama, it's pretty fucking dramatic for Rachel, who we've never really seen stand up for herself in that way, say, how do I know I can trust you after what you did? That would have been a potential nuanced, interesting, important conversation to have, especially about consent, was taken out. But talking about Ariana, maybe trying to manipulate her poor, unfortunate boyfriend and saying, and him saying, I couldn't break up with her because of what she was saying that she was going to do. I wanted to keep her safe. What she then said was a lie. Like she wasn't given the opportunity, I don't think, to discuss that with production. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe they asked her, is this true? How do you feel about this? Yada, yada. There was a conversation with Tom. It was just something that I thought was kind of interesting when it comes to protection. It's nothing to do with Rachel or or Bethany. I mean, it could be Bethany if she thought about it, but I maybe she was, you know, getting some popcorn at that point. Skinny Girl has some terrific flavors. Love the butter, love the lime salt. I don't know if that Skinny Girl popcorn is still available, but listen, it was great while it was there. Many things were. Um, so Bethany asks if she if Rachel feels that Sandoval has gotten the same kind of hate. Rachel says she feels like the criticism has increased because of his post-scandal behavior going around town with any number of ladies being photographed by the paparazzi um, and feels that, you know, people have uh, maybe leveled up on shit-talking Tom since the Scandoval, since the height of the Scandoval, but she does agree that gender dynamics are slanted. 
Really no further conversation on that. Um, Bethany asks about whether Bravo has a percentage of Tom's bars. Like, what's the financial incentive here? While, spoiler alert, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, so I do want to take some time and explain it to you. There's this thing called the Bethany Clause, which is that Bethany created Skinner Girl, and she was able to sign a contract with Bravo when she joined Housewives that um, ensured that they would not receive a, a percentage of potential businesses created, I guess, during her time or maybe even following her time on Housewives of New York. And as a result, it's named the Bethany Clause. And Bethany just wanted to make sure that Rachel and everyone listening was aware that it was, in fact, called the Bethany Clause and asking if, you know, I guess, Tom had the Tom clause. And in fact, he does not. Um, So I guess likely Bravo has a percentage of Tom's bars and possible businesses. And she felt Bethany felt that Bravo is likely profiting off of the scandal and um, of Schwartz and Sandy's, which I guess she assumes business is booming over there. I don't think it is. But um, Oh, that's a conversation for another day. It's really not. It's not a conversation. I don't think a lot of people are going there. And I don't know how much longer Sandoval's name is going to be on the door. Maybe forever. I don't know. I don't even know if that's up to ultimately to Schwartz. Um, Bethany's goal seemingly is to explain away some of Rachel's decisions as being less her responsibility and more a price of being on reality TV which takes some responsibility and ownership off of her and onto Bravo and production. I assume that's why there aren't follow-ups. This isn't um, an interview for interview's sake. Um, Bethany asks if Tom is a producer. It's an interesting question to ask. Um, I, I, again, assume that there had been a direction that had been discussed or maybe negotiated between Bethany and uh, Rachel prior to the interview. Otherwise, why on earth would you say as someone who's been on reality TV for a 100 years? Hey, just out of curiosity, is Sandoval a producer? Anyway, big surprise. Rachel says not technically, but that during the negotiation for season 11, Rachel says that Tom told her he was offered a producer credit for season 11, which Rachel considered being rewarded for the Scandoval. And Rachel now wonders, was all of this fabricated for the end result for his ability to have that kind of like, I guess, creative consult or something else? It it doesn't entirely make sense. Like, let's connect those dots. What was fabricated for the end result? We ju- you just said minutes prior that now he's being dragged. People are criticizing him and whatever else. But like, maybe he was offered a producer credit, which means what was fabricated, not the affair. You obviously slept with each other for at least seven months, a timeline I don't totally continue to vibe with, but at least seven months. What part was fabricated? Him saying that he loved you, him saying he wasn't happy with Ariana when he actually was. We're still saying out loud that they didn't have a relationship filled with love, even though she told you differently on camera. Because he told Rachel something else behind the scenes. What part of this was fabricated? Fabricated to support Tom? Maybe fabricated so that Tom could support himself to continue having an affair with you. But I don't know if there was like a master strategy in place, especially when a lot of the behavior between Rachel and Tom was about disguising this from production, from members of the cast, obviously Ariana. So what was fabricated? 
obviously the truth at one point of like them not sleeping together, that was a lie. But what was fabricated that would lead to him potentially being told he might receive a producer credit? And what a fucking random ass question to ask. Anyway, minutes prior to recording this episode, Bravo put out a statement, Bethany's favorite kind of gift, and said Tom Sandoval was never offered a producer credit on season 11 and had absolutely no creative control over editing during any season of Vanderpump Rules. It's what a Bravo spokesperson told Entertainment Tonight of Rachel's claims that her estranged lover, in the words of Entertainment Tonight, may have been pulling strings behind the scenes of the recent season. Doesn't entirely answer some of that string pulling, but it does have an answer from Bravo. So when it comes to like what was fabricated, I wish Rachel would think to herself, maybe Tom lied to me instead of maybe this was all a part of some sort of master plot. Like the the affair was a part of some like master plan fabricated by production who didn't actually know of the affair at that point. Um, I'm not quite sure what that uh, really part of that conversation was about. Bethany lists everyone profiting off of the scan of all Lisa Vanderpump, Bravo, definitely Andy. I think were her words. Sandoval, Ariana, and that Rachel is in debt. Bethany says interesting. She does not list herself, though. It's a 28-minute episode, seven minutes of ads, host-read ads, which you get a lot more money for, programmatic ads, which are like the ads that, you know, are are recorded by somebody else and just kind of um, selected by the powers that be and inserted. So that's interesting. Interesting. In Beth, in Bethany's own words, that's, that's interesting. Um, Rachel's in debt. I would... Rachel's, again, rep said confirmed she wasn't paid for this. She was, you know, the opportunity to speak out is priceless. It's priceless for Bethany, too. But also, you know, there are a lot of ads. Bethany asked if Lisa Vanderpump was in a place to protect Rachel. She said no, and that no one really truly had her best interest at heart. She's not as trusting as she once was. I would bet you Ariana would say the same. I don't think Ariana is as trusting as she once was, but that's a conversation for another day. It's a conversation with not Bethany, but maybe somebody else. Maybe Carol. Maybe Carol could give some thoughts on the scandal. Bethany says that Kristen was fired and is now back with a spinoff, a.k.a. people play the game and you get to make money selling your soul. And Rachel says Kristen, in fact, was just starting to talk about James and alleged physical violence between them and then was offered a spinoff which Rachel believes was a way to keep Kristen quiet about James so that Vanderpump Rules could continue. Bethany said she's heard that um, something was cut out when it comes to the conversation about James. And then ironically, (laughs) this is, again, the perspective. Bethany can speak from the perspective of being on reality TV. You're listening to Sarah G over here who can give perspective not from being on reality TV, but being a podcaster. I do believe there's a cut in the audio at that point. I don't have a timestamp. So my gift to you is you probably have to listen to this fucking thing in full. But that there's a point where Bethany says she heard something was cut out (laughs) about the James of it all. And then you do hear a little bit of a cut. And 
it's hard when you have to make cuts mid-sentence. It's hard to string that shit all together. Editing is tough. Shout out old audio. Shout out new old audio. Shout out new new audio. Um, but Bethany says she's gotten calls uh, from others. I don't even know what the fuck that's about. Um, and that cut, by the way, it could be a cut from something that she said that was removed. It's just sort of it's just an interesting moment in which to have a cut because it was literally right after she says she heard something was cut out and then you can hear. But that can also be text. Sometimes you can like hear with I'm trying to move honestly the um cable of my microphone as I say this because you could might maybe hear something, but unfortunately it's clear as day tonight. Um, but sometimes you can hear what you think is a cut and that's just maybe from when the audio, I don't know, was maybe, um, uploaded or something else. Sometimes there are little moments that might sound like that, but that's maybe there's like a little wrinkle in your little cable and that can do something or something else. It was just, um, ironic. It was something that I was laughing about to myself, just the timing of this, uh, when it comes to there being a strategy to, more seriously, to quiet Kristen from talking about James. I don't know. I don't have an answer to that or or any information or uh, anything. I think that's a really dark way of thinking about things, which doesn't mean it's untrue. I think that there are other reasons to bring Kristen back that don't have anything to do with James. I also believe some of the conversation about James was relating to a book. I don't know if it's come out yet. I think Kristen was writing a book. Has it been released? Um, if not, I would assume that that conversation will continue when she's promoting it. Um, Rachel says she agrees that it's essentially a hush money style show. The fact that Kristen will be back on a spinoff and that she believes that, um, that she believes Kristen and what Kristen has said about James and that she has seen James be violent and hopes one day for justice. Kristen has since taken to social and said, listen, I haven't seen or rather heard this episode or part two, but I was sent a clip from TikTok um, of Rachel saying maybe some bad things about me later on, but like also the fact that she believes me about James. And I think it's important to hear Kristen. I think it's important to hear Rachel if and when she talks about her relationship with James. I think it's important that both of these women are supporting each other in that. And um when Rachel is saying things about her relationship or about someone else's relationship with James and James's possible tendency toward violence, that is a serious conversation that deserves to be heard. Um, and both of these women, I think, deserve for us to listen. Um, I don't know what protection, how protection would possibly factor into a spinoff that had been proposed to include Kristen. And I think Stasi and like maybe Lala was going to join it at some point and like make the transfer from VPR to a spinoff that was then canceled after Kristen and Stasi were fired by the network. So the idea that on the heels of the scandal, when Jax is getting work, Britney's getting work, Stasi, very separate from this, is doing well with her podcast talking about the Scandaval for a sort of a short period of time. Kristen's pod is doing well. Obviously, Sheena and Lala's have done really well as a result, too. Um, the fact that Jax has now been offered this spinoff that was being thought of years prior um, and is being offered it again, that Kristen is now going to be a part of it as well on the heels of the scandal. Absolutely, there's a connection between the fact that a number of people have profited, including former cast members. I think that's like 
I think I would assume Jax would not disagree with that. I would assume Kristen would not disagree with that. The fact that a lot of people are paying attention to the cast of EPR, including people who are no longer on the show, people who had possible opportunities that were no longer available until the scandal became a thing. I don't disagree with that at all. I actually assume, (laughs) what an assumption, um, making an ass out of you and me, that Jax would agree with that assessment. I mean, how could he not? Um, But, you know, it's Jax, so he entirely could not. Bethany says she feels that the reality, that reality TV is the upside down and like no other form of reality where people are celebrated and rewarded for poor behavior. Yes, nowhere in the entirety of the universe are people celebrated and rewarded for poor behavior. Keeping in mind, Bethany has also said repeatedly she doesn't like to follow politics. So that might explain why she believes that reality TV is the upside down and not that a lot of reality is also in the upside down as well. Reality TV is not the OG of all of this. It is an unfortunate, um, I don't even know what the word would be. It is It is an unfortunate consequence of other larger upside downs taking place, not consequence, but maybe kind of waves um, of how our culture has changed over time. Reality TV is um, uh, maybe not, maybe a a symptom of a greater disease. Scandaval has now seemingly canceled indiscretions or bad actions by fired former cast members, something that Rachel and Bethany both agree with. Um, it revived that spinoff show I just mentioned, and the fact that um, VPR itself was seemingly facing cancellation prior to the scandal is a big um, sort of example of the ways that look how some fortunes have changed as a result of this. Some, but not all. Ratings before and after. Bethany, as I mentioned earlier in this 900-hour um, recap of a 35-minute, including commercials, uh, <laughs> show. Ratings before and after. Bethany asks Rachel and then herself answers what were the ratings? And she says, Rachel, what were the ratings? Oh, um, let me tell you what they were. 2.4 million in demos, meaning the advertising target demographic. It's a huge, huge number. Bethany tells us um, much larger than how reality TV, I guess, currently measures and that season 10 reached 11.5 million viewers. People are watching old seasons to try to find Easter eggs and not, of course, um, and noting, of course, that the cast is not being compensated for all of those streams. Bethany says she wants to read from a transcript relating to the reunion. She notes that she watched the reunion and a couple of episodes of the scandal because information is power. So don't task yourself with it. Just me being an asshole (laughs) Uh, is fascinating. Nuance obviously would counter a narrative that Bethany doesn't seemly want to separate from or distract from. And um, friend of the pod, Kate Casey, um, sent me a tweet that she had posted or X that she had posted. I don't even know what the fuck it's called on that thing. That's not threads. And um, it made me laugh. So I'm sharing this now before we continue. Um, She said, I hope reality talent appreciate the hosts who watch the shows they are on before they interview them, which I was like, shots fired. (laughs) 
<laughs> gave me a little bit of a moment because genuinely, I mean, fuck the privilege of being like, I don't even really watch the show. But also Howie Mandel, Howie Mandel style, sometimes uh, that's a benefit, um, certainly to possibly the interviewee, but certainly to the host. It's very easy to say, I don't know what happened, so I don't have to have an opinion about it. And if it shapes my opinion and makes that more complicated, well, we don't want that either. Um, So, you know, Bethany acknowledges that she may not know all the details and may not know (laughs) if Rachel is being duplicitous or dishonest, but she says she knows Rachel is a human being. Rachel could be her daughter. Andy and Lisa Vanderpump are parents, and the cast is going to war because, according to Bethany, I guess only parents could extend grace. Um, So she talks about what was said to Rachel in her words over the course of a very short period of time uh, over the course of a reunion and and reads her a transcript. And I think we should take Bethany at her word that – such criticisms and um, explosive behavior absolutely should be held accountable uh, with no really other understanding necessary. So let's take a minute and hear what she say, what she shares with Rachel. Let's go deeper on the hair. So my hair's just like you. So I want to be just like you. I want to understand it. I want to fuck a lot of guys, party till five in the morning, play gray gardens and like rehab over at my friend's house on the Upper East Side. Is that what it is? Is that what I want to do? I want to lie to all my friends and pretend I'm one thing. Am I getting laid? You're making up for all of us, but I'm doing okay. You're not the Kim Cattrall of the family because Kim Cattrall was honest about it. You're not a girl's girl. What man have I ever rolled up on anybody? What man's husband? What married man have I ever slept with? What young 25-year-old have I ever fucked and and (laughs) given my friend shit about it? You are a hypocrite. You fuck everyone and you pretend that you don't. I don't care if you're the biggest whore in Macy's window, but you pretend that you're appropriate. You are a slut and a liar and a hypocrite and a snake. That's the truth. That's true. Shot to a confessional in which this person says, I can't believe the words that are coming out of my mouth, but I feel like I owe it to myself and everyone around us to at least say my piece to her face. Oh, wait, you guys, you know what? I'm so sorry. That's not what was said to Rachel. That's what Bethany said to and about Luann. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Terrible things to say about someone. But, you know, it's entertainment, right? Um, Okay, let's continue on to the actual things that were said to Rachel, which Bethany decides to list like it's the fucking end of days constitution being written where every last note needs to be read back and absorbed. She says this to this person who's been out of mental health treatment for I don't know what period of time and lists for her all of the things that were said to her over the course of the reunion. Like she doesn't fucking remember to make the point that Bethany needs to be made. And while the video again hasn't yet been released, you can hear Bethany 
sniffling, crying, understandably upset um, about a lot of stuff uh, that's said. So she says the following, diabolical, demented, subhuman, shut the fuck up, fuck you, fuck yourself, the fucking cheese grater. You're disgusting, and I wish the worst that could ever happen to a person on you. And you said, I feel like a piece of shit. And then it was said about you, she's a cunt, which that part is bleeped out, but welcome to Andy's Girls. And then Lala says, my love, I think you need to get mentally evaluated. You're truly insane. And then you say, I am getting mentally evaluated. And then it said, you're a fucking psychopath. You're a dementor. You're a soul-sucking individual. You're ugly. You're hideous. You're rotten on the inside. Rotten, rotten, like a mildly piece, a mi- mildly a moldy piece of fruit. Shout out to autocorrect. Rotten. You are nothing. You are nothing. You are nothing. Let that sink in because I know that's hard for you to let other people's thoughts go into your brain because you've never had an original thought of your own. You are nothing. You are dead to everybody now. Thank God she didn't come out with Tipsy Girl. Bethany says, I'm really sorry that was said to you on TV. Her voice starts breaking. She said, no one handed you a tissue. You start to leave, and then Andy says, hold on, come back. What does that mean to you? And there's a long pause. And Rachel says, nobody should ever be spoken to that way. She's not better or worse than anyone else. She said it was easier to disassociate to survive it. It was hate intended to hurt her so she wouldn't feel worthy. And she shared that she was adopted. Her biological aunt adopted her and is her mom, her adopted mom. She considers herself, in a sense, a miracle, and she won't accept those words. Bethany wonders what her parents must have thought and says she has a daughter and she would have killed someone to speak to her daughter that way. Yes. I think Bethany would be very upset if. Someone spoke to Bryn in the ways that Rachel was spoken to. I would assume she would have thoughts about her daughter's behavior if other decisions were made from that season. I would think she would have thoughts for her daughter if someone spoke to her daughter in the way that Bethany spoke to Luann, Sonia, Carol, Ramona, Jill. I guess Andy, maybe (laughs) throw Jeff Lewis in there. (laughs) I mean, whoever the fuck else, any number of people who've worked for her on TV. You know, Bethany talks a lot about like the HR of it all and creating this terrible environment and they're not being human resources and all valid points out of that conversation. And then I rewatched the clip of her dragging Sonia to absolute hell because of the cheater brand that um, infamous uh scene between Sonia and Bethany at Skinny Girl HQ and the fact that she decided to film that Bethany decided to film that conversation in front of her junior staff that was a choice where was the HR department there I wonder at Skinny Girl HQ working on that Skinny Girl Kids hand and body lotion for chubby babies which we've talked about in previous episodes that is a real thing she came out with in 2018 there's a photo of it on my Instagram Bethany notes that Andy defended Tom at one point and called him a human being and asked if anyone has done that for Rachel. And she said no, and that she was actually called subhuman. 
Bethany asks why Rachel thinks that Andy had her come back when she wanted to leave the reunion stage as a parent, producer, executive, 54-year-old, and she's the employee. Who is the protector, Bethany said. Where is HR? Bethany continues with quotes um, sharing that Ariana used a tissue for herself and called Rachel names. Rachel said she understood she would be emotionally abused in coming back to the stage and felt that she might deserve some of it. Bethany mentions her therapist, Dr. What the fuck? Jeff, Matt, Paul, Steve. And she asked Dr. Jeff, Matt, Paul, Steve to watch the reunion and tell her his thoughts. Dr. Jeff, Matt, Paul, Steve. I really don't know. One of those names is probably right. I think it was Matt. It might have been Dave. Told her there's a difference between punishment and abuse. Punishment is banishing someone from a friend group. No one will speak to you. And this was not a punishment. This was an example of abuse. Usually there's a goal. There was no goal for resolution in this case. It was a constant beating on a loop. It was abusive. Bethany says emotional can be as bad as physical abuse. And then she defines what emotional abuse is. She has not, in fact, handed a mirror. She asks if she felt that she was emotionally abused. And Rachel says, absolutely. I wonder at this point about a a good question about what the goal coming out of a reunion is. Like, I actually wonder, did Bethany's therapist, Dave, Matt, Paul, Steve, possibly Matt, maybe Dave, um, what doctor, one of those names, um, felt about the reunion if he watched all three parts and this was um, a response to all three or just the third? I wonder if he's watched any other reality TV before. I wonder if he's watched any of the uh, other um, iconic moments where Bethany's been in a reunion. I wonder what conflict means and conflict resolution means. Um, I wonder what Bethany considers conflict resolution because seemingly there's an understanding and an expectation that reunions will um, include conflict, um, sometimes physical, um, BCC Teresa, Sometimes, oftentimes, emotional, uh, yelling, walking off stage, being um, sometimes begged to come back on, yelling, screaming, name calling. And sure, sometimes it's like under the guise of like, let's process this so we can come out to the other side. And sometimes it's just yelling at Carol and Carol yelling at you and saying that she doesn't have a job and is worthless and whatever else. And she's saying, you know, you're a liar and have too much power <laughs> with Andy, which <laughs> short-term memory <laughs> with some of this stuff. Again, many things can be true at once, except for this three-part interview. Um, the idea of conflict resolution, though, being a goal for the purposes of the scandal is, I don't think probably a part of anybody's imagination in the lead up to the reunion. There are times where there are conflicts. Um, I mean, you know, not just from Bethany's world, but like Bethany Jill, Bethany Ramona, Bethany Carol, Bethany Dorinda, Bethany Luann, Bethany Sonia, where there are moments where it's like, Something happened that set off action during the reunion. So we're going to, during the season rather, so we're going to talk about it at the reunion. The expectation is sort of similar to living in the confessionals. You want to be present in some of the energy you felt before and possibly demand an excuse for it, an explanation for it, an apology for it. 
your own feelings of regret about it and that you come to the other side. And the other side is like, go fuck yourself. I don't want to be friends with you, but we can exist in the same universe or I want you fired off the show and I'm going to try to figure out some language around that um, of like, you're dead to me and I am the center Apple or whatever else and have more power or whatever else. Um there can be the feeling of maybe we can repair this. We have to air out our anger and frustration. And then Andy will typically tie it up in a bow by the end. Okay, we work things out. Is there the idea of moving forward? Yes, great. It's the idea of stakes, even in even and especially like New Jersey, Teresa, Melissa, Joe, now Louie. The idea with previous seasons until this one, we need to work this stuff out so that we can cross to the other side. And the working this stuff out is what gets us to the ratings and the other side gets us to next season. And obviously, the season of New Jersey was different because both parties had come to the reunion with the understanding and expectation there was no interest in resolution. And that impacted the tone of the reunion. And with the Scandoval, there was no interest in resolution, none. So the idea that conflict resolution would be the goal of this and was missing as being a form of exploitation versus the fact that this is the first time that someone in the cast has seen a former good friend on stage since she found out over the phone by this person confirming to them they had been in an affair for seven months with her now ex, who she'd been in a relationship for 10 years. But unfortunately, because she didn't have kids and didn't have a wedding ring, it was not of as much consequence to Bethany as it would be had she been married. But all things said, we're putting on our imaginary hats and pretending that that had enormous consequences for Ariana. And she was very upset. I mean, giving her the benefit of the doubt to find out that her partner, who she thought she would be with seemingly for the rest of her life, was fucking someone else in her bed, including while she was at her grandmother's funeral, and that someone else was someone who had asked her on camera about her sex life and about her relationship and commitment level to Tom, unbeknownst to her, carrying on an affair. So we'll pretend that Ariana wasn't just cash in checks as a result of the scandal, but also dealing with some significant emotional trauma that nobody wants to talk about because she's got a lot of money in the bank. Which, according to Bethany, BCC the Bethany Clause is the number one thing to focus on. So we have an understanding that there's not going to be conflict resolution at the end of the reunion. How else does a person make a reunion happen? Are we supposed to pretend there's going to be resolution at the result? Or is this just talking through and often ex- uh, escalating conflict and getting to the next season? What possible resolution could be found? I was thinking about it and I thought, you know what? There was possible resolution or a breakthrough or some sort of understanding that could have gotten past the rage that several members of the cast felt about being misled, lied to, whatever else, used as pawns, yada, yada, which could have maybe been, and this is possibly Pollyanna of me and, you know, welcome to Andy's Girls, could have been maybe between Sheena and Rachel because there was real genuine friendship there that, God help us, Rachel also agrees with that there was a real relationship, even though she also said in part one, there was more of a currency exchange. It wasn't just this person taking care of me. What was me? I was also doing things to benefit them and their um, career, going on their podcast, whatever else. So 
noting that, that maybe it was a little, uh, you know, who knows how much help Sheena was giving Rachel versus what Rachel was giving Sheena. Obviously, there was a lot of love there and affection between those two women. Had they been able to be within 100 yards of each other, maybe there could have been a conversation not of Sheena saying, you know, I forgive you, let's be friends. Obviously, that wouldn't happen. But some sort of understanding here of pain that was based in a love for each other that Rachel wouldn't deny. Or maybe she, I I don't know if she would. She talks about the fact that she wasn't given the opportunity to share her feelings during the reunion without, again, any kind of conversation around that um, separate one-on-one that she had with Andy. But I wonder, in this same episode, in this same conversation in part one, where she's talking about the fact that she learned language while in mental health treatment that enabled her to be able to communicate what she was experiencing and how she was feeling. If Andy had said, shut the fuck up, nobody say a word, Rachel, this is your chance to talk. This is your time. I don't know that Rachel would have understood even how she felt, let alone what she wanted to express, especially because during this podcast fucking 19 thousand part series with Bethany, she seemingly doubled down on or is backing off from some of the harm that was felt by members of the cast, the extenuating circumstances relating to the kind of relationship and friendship that she had with Ariana, which was in direct opposition to what she said during filming, examples of them hanging out over the course of social media, over the course of a very long amount of time. Sheena herself said they had plans the day after Watch What Happens. Sheena, uh, Rachel, and um, Ariana to like do some fucking event together. It was supposed to happen Thursday night. It's hard to imagine what Rachel would have said during that time had she been allowed this space. And it's unfortunate that after coming out of treatment, seemingly under the auspices of being given that space with Bethany, that none of those questions were asked. And maybe that Rachel felt it wasn't a place to share them. But that's certainly the marketing around this. This is the chance to get to know who Rachel is versus this is the get the chance to get to know what happened to her. You can do both. It helps if the person having the conversation has watched a single full season of Vanderpump Rules, let alone this one. There might be a, an understanding in seeing episodes that aired before the affair came out, episodes that aired after the affair came out that the network Andy production said weren't edited, and then whatever happened to the episodes following that, whatever changes were made, there might be an understanding of the universe that the cast felt they lived in, which included Tom and Rachel before they found out what was going on during that time and the time prior and the time after cameras went down. That might have been interesting to talk about, But instead, we focus only on the rage and vile comments that were sent and said to Rachel's face, and we made her listen to them again. Yikes, guys. That's a yikes moment. It's yikes. (laughs) I can't stop saying it's yikes. I thought it was at best insensitive to say those things to her face. She didn't need to hear them again. 
It was not, I thought, respectful. Maybe Bethany said to her before, is it okay if I say these things? I hope she did. But really, should she have even asked? Should she have done it to begin with? Are you, Bethany Frankel, in the place of power and privilege, asking her if it's okay to say things X, Y, and Z? I assume you did that at minimum from like a moral perspective. And this is a morality campaign. What Bethany is doing is a morality campaign. So I assume she's doing her level best to treat Rachel the way she wished she had been treated by members of the cast, production, network, audience, whomever. But fuck, should you have even done it? I don't know. What was the point? It was to show how you felt as a result hearing it, how you would feel as a mother, I guess also cast member, whatever else, executive. Andy's being name dropped a number of times through the course of the episode. I wonder how, Lord knows, you know, Bravo HQ is like losing their fucking mind. So we'll see what happens with part three. Hope it's 10 minutes long with 45 minutes of ads. Shout out whatever fucking skinny girl I don't know, Margarita Extra Salt is coming out in conjunction with this interview series. Um, Man, it was a lot. It was a lot. And it's like, you know what? There are ways to think of the fact that the things that were said to Rachel were terrible. And it's also possible to acknowledge the upset that Ariana felt in saying those things. It's not to say it's okay, but it's also to say Rachel's the on- not the only one who should receive grace. But that's not a conversation Bethany is equipped to have because she doesn't know the story. And how on earth can she create the story that she's in now without knowing what she knows? I don't know. I'm assuming that's a strategic decision on her part. It's off kilter at best and interesting to listen to. So kudos to her for that. I mean, I talked on this episode about nuance relating to that 28 plus seven minutes of commercials up for how much, like three times as long as the episode itself. Obviously, there's conversation here. I don't disagree with a lot of Bethany's mission, but I do think it's important to acknowledge the circumstances relating to the person leading the charge. She could have said at any point, she could have acknowledged at any point what she has said on camera, what she has done, not to say she's a garbage person or an awful person, not to say she doesn't have regret, but maybe she was feeling hot at that point. Maybe producers were nudging her along. Maybe there was a circumstance or environment where she felt madder than mad and felt like she needed to perform that for the audience to defend her or whatever else. I think it's probably really fucking layered and intense to be in that room. God only knows the scandal itself came with a lot. But we can't have that conversation because Bethany doesn't want to have it. But listen, she feels really confident or arrogant or both. She's allowed to do it. She's leading the charge. And the most important thing is that her show right now is number one. So, you know, kudos to her. I'm sure Rachel, hopefully, I'm not sure. What am I talking about? I hope that Rachel is happy with the conversation. I think missed opportunity to ask her questions. But again, 
Ultimately, that wasn't the goal. Bethany had a goal in mind. It was to get attention, including Bravo's. She achieved it plus. So it's a win. Who needs nuance, right? We don't. Unless you're listening to this podcast. We're trying to stir it in the soup once in a while. Listen, it's a to be continued until part three. I cannot believe that this woman has taken over my life. <laughs> She's had so many years of it already. Wasn't, you know, I'm spiritually mid-20s plus. Wasn't 25 years enough? I mean, that's time even before I knew who she was. She could have been doing Bethany Banks at the Stop and Shop. I just said Bethany Banks when I meant Bakes, but wow. <laughs> Much like me accidentally saying cyst and disease on the part one. Sometimes these things slip in. <laughs> Maybe that's saying something. Listen, do you like this Michigas that I'm saying, my little monologue of fun? Um, join the Andy Scrolls Patreon. It's the number one way of encouraging that I can afford to get a throat lozenge because if you haven't noticed, my, my throat is hurting a little bit at this point. There are um, exclusive bonus episodes available. You also have the opportunity with a premium tier of recording an episode with yours truly uh, for Patreon. And it enables me to find the time to devote my life to trying to unpack Bethany Frankel for myself. So I really appreciate all of the Patreon AGs for joining at patreon.com slash girls. And thanks to all of you for listening and having a conversation. Listen, spoiler alert, this might actually be new information. I'm not in saying my opinion, trying to convince you that I'm right. I just think the conversation is interesting and worth having. I actually really do. And there can be nuance here. We normalize changing our mind based on new information. Leave some of the cat fighting to the Bethany Frankels of whatever season <laughs> she happens to be in. If we can figure out a way to talk to each other and communicate and understand somehow the ways a woman's rage isn't allowed or is considered too much, to understand and have a little empathy and grace when people are feeling very, very hot and maybe including some of us who are triggered and watching the episodes or having these conversations or whatever else. If like the number one way <laughs> of maybe enjoying or wanting to continue Andy's Girls episodes of expressing any kind of appreciation is just for us to be able to like listen to each other now and again and just try to have a conversation about what we're watching and try to find value, including in things that we think are missing from what we're hearing on Bethany Inc. or watching on Bravo TV, then I think that's really worthy and worthwhile. And and um, I appreciate all of you for listening and hopefully for being engaged in this episode and episodes of past and present and to come and um, I truly do not know how long this episode will be, but thanks to those of you who've hung in till the end. You can follow me on Instagram at Dame Galley and allegedly also on Threads, which I keep forgetting is a thing, but does in fact also exist. And let's see what happens with part three and also, you know, six, seven, nine, and ten. Um, because my thinking is the door was opened. With Rachel, one could argue it was really opened with Jill. There's going to be more of these conversations to continue. There is a way of discussing complicated stuff in and outside of what's actually presented. And I'm so thankful to all of you for listening. And I it really am looking forward to continue to talk about all of this and also New New York 
and Atlanta just had a really solid episode. God bless. We are so truly blessed with that most recent episode. Orange County is still killing the game. And I have to end the episode, you know, thinking of something light and something meaningful. So I just have to say, Bethany's a big fan of hashtags apparently now on social. I'm pretty sure she invented them. So let's end with one that I think can just bring a lot of light to the world. So hashtag I stand for Shan. All right, guys, thanks so much. Let me know your thoughts and feels. DM me some satchels of gold. Let me know you're thinking. And uh, maybe it'll be at a future Patreon episode. And until next time, until we speak again. Toodaloo. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.